Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm doing great. Did you hear that? I, I did. I love it. I'm, I'm sure you do. I know how much you hate it. Everybody, she hates our fun little intro, but I absolutely love it, and I thank Kyle so much for it. Yeah, so this so intro much. that you just had the pleasure of listening to um, was something that Kyle decided to throw together as a joke, <laughs> and we've been talking about needing an intro thing for quite a while, and it's catchy. finally- I, I love it. Yeah, sure, I guess. And then it finally got to the point where you two just kind of wore me down and was like, fine. <laughs> fine. That can be our intro. Yes. Oh. So that's our intro. That's our little intro music. It's so perfect because it's very much us. Uh, yeah, it is, I guess. <laughs> I'm just I feel like anybody heard that, they'd just be like, oh, you know what? That's, that's Erica and Stephanie at Cheers from the Grave. Yeah. It's, <laughs> oh, my God. I don't know how I feel about it. I'm I'm horrified because it's me, and it's like, oh. Well, you got the good voice. Yeah, not really. (laughs) It is what it is. (laughs) Oh, my God. So we're redoing this. Yes. This is take two. This is take two of this episode because we're special doodlebugs. (laughs) I mean, I think it's because we're just, we're having a good day. Yeah. You had a had a, a Rita, and now we're drinking water. Yeah, so we're kind of calming down. We are kind of I mean, calming down. I had medication, but yes, <laughs> it was a different kind of vibe. I was yeah. throwing. We uh, this is episode seven. We did episode six earlier today because we wanted to try and get two episodes in to record and. Now we're on episode seven. Yes. And uh, you got some fun stuff to talk about. I do. Yeah. Let's hear it. Okay. So let's just jump in. Oh, by the way, I'm Erica. And I'm Stephanie. And this is Cheers Cheers from from the the Grave. grave. So kind of going a different route this time. Mm -hmm. Um, Going away from paranormal and kind of going into the true crime realm. Yes. Um. But the thing is, this one is just like, this story, I love this story. It is hilarious. I The first time I heard about it was on a And That's Why We Drink podcast. Yes. And oh my God, it is freaking hilarious. And I was like, I need to cover that at some point. And so here we are. Yeah. Because, I mean, we, we do cover other stuff. Yes. We can't just, I mean, there's more to life than paranormal. There's true crime. There's conspiracy theories. We kind of want to like broaden our... Horizon, a bit. horizons, yeah. just a little bit, and so. All right, you want me to just jump right into it? Yeah, cool. All right, so this is the tale of Michael Malloy. Okay, also known as Iron Mike, <laughs> also known as the man who just wouldn't die. Ooh, the worst kind of man, right? <laughs> God damn it! Why don't you just die? <laughs> so Malloy was an Irish homeless man who live in New York City between about 1920 and 1930s, so during the Great Depression. Mm -hmm. He was a former firefighter who was down on his luck, and he found safe haven at Tony Marino's Bar, also known as basically a speakeasy at that Mm -hmm. point. Yeah, because during that time was Prohibition, right? Uh, I can't remember what years the Prohibition was, and I don't want to sit here and be like, yeah, and then have someone at me and be like, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. You should know. If you want to Google it, by all means. <laughs> but anyway, 
he did find safe haven in Tony Marino's bar. He would drink until he passed out and a number, and also had a number of running tabs open. Uh, some would be paid by fellow customers, while others were just left open in general. Now, Marino would allow Malloy to continue drinking on credit, but after a while, it did start to prove bad for business. During a round of drinks, Malloy's friends or acquaintances, let's just say uh, Marino and then Francis Pasqua, uh, who just so happened to be an undertaker, and Daniel Priestberg came up with a brilliant idea to come up with some quick cash. So their plan was to take out a life insurance policy Mm -hmm. on Malloy and then murder him. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. They're like, we want money. What can we do to get some money? You have bills to pay, and we we need that, and you're clearly not paying it. So, like, I can understand. I can see it. So what can we do to get some quick cash? Let's take out a life insurance policy, right? (laughs) Exactly. So Malloy's background wasn't very well known. As far as they knew, he had no family, and because he was such a drunk, they figured it'd be an easy win, and he certainly would not be missed. Mm Mm-hmm. So Marino was already privy to how to do this. Uh, He had taken out a life insurance policy on a homeless woman named Mabel Carson about a year or so prior. He killed her and collected about $2,000 afterwards. And with today's inflation, it comes out to about $37,000. Yeah, that's That's, a... That's more than a lot of people make on minimum wage. Right. Nowadays, yeah. (laughs) More than I make. So how he did it was on a frigid night, he force-fed her alcohol, stripped off her clothing, doused the sheets with mattress and ice water, pushed the bed underneath an open window, and then she died. Uh, the medical examiner listed the cause of death as bronchial pneumonia, and Marino then collected money without incident. Wow. Mm-hmm. So he was like, I already know how to do this. <laughs> Let's do it again. Let's do it again. <laughs> One night uh, on the meeting, uh, Marino... And the guys got together, and Marino's like, look, he looks all in. He ain't got much longer to go anyhow, so this stuff's getting him. Mm-hmm. So he and Pasqua, or Pasqua, Pasqu- how did I pronounce it? Pasqua? Pasqua. Pasqua. Glanced over at Daniel Kreisberg. Uh, he, Daniel Kreisberg was a 29-year-old grocer, by the way, uh, and a father of three. Uh, he later said that he had participated for the sake of his family. Because, I mean, if you have a father of three and you're in the Great Depression, you're going to do anything it takes to... Yeah, that's that's mouths to feed. Yeah. It really is. Like, mm-hmm. So with that, uh, the gang then set into motion a macrobe chain of events that would earn Michael Malloy the title of the man who just wouldn't die. Mm-hmm. Worst kind of man. Right. <laughs> so Pasqua... Agreed to do most of the paperwork, which meant having Joseph Murphy, who was somebody else who worked at the bar. He was one of the bartenders. Um, call himself Nicholas Malloy, a.k.a. Michael's brother, supposedly, quote-unquote, uh, to meetings with the insurance companies. They even had him say that he was a florist in case someone needed to verify information. So it took about five months for Pasqua to secure three insurance policies, two with Prudential Life Insurance Company and one with the Metropolitan Life Insurance Company, both companies which are still active today. Yes, MetLife. Yepers. I used to have that. So if the plan went off without a hitch, the group would then split $3,576, which comes out to about $66,184 in today's money. 
The murder trust, as the press would eventually call them, now included a few other of Marino's regulars, regulars uh, included petty criminals John McNally, Edward Tenier Smith, and so-called, so-called Tenier, even though his artificial ear was made of wax, uh, quote-unquote tough Tony Bastone and his slavish sidekick Jos- Joseph Mag- Maglion, Maglion, M-A-G-L-I-O-N-E, Mag- Maglion. We're just going to say Joseph. So one night in December of 1932, uh, the murder trust gathered at Marino's bar to commence the killing of Malloy. So to help, Marino informed Malloy to help with the competition between the local bars, he would actually open a free tab for Malloy. So Malloy was like, oh my gosh, are you serious? You're just going to free tab, which means that I can drink as much as you want? Are you, (laughs) like, Really? So since Molly was such a heavy drinker, they figured that they just kept refilling his glass. He would just succumb to alcohol poisoning by either choke on his own vomit or just somehow fall and slam his head against something and cause him to die. Yeah. So they kept refilling his drink basically until Marino's arm tired of holding the bottle. And remarkably, his breathing remained steady. His skin retained its normal ruddy tinge. And finally, he drugged, he dragged a grungy sleeve Across his mouth, thanked his host for the hospitality, and he'd be back soon. And he left. (laughs) And within 24 hours, he was back. Wow. Malloy followed this pattern for about three days, pausing only long enough to eat a complimentary sardine sandwich. Marino and his accomplices were at a loss. But on the fourth day, Malloy stumbled into the bar, saying, Boy, he exclaimed, nodding at Marino, ain't I got a thirst. Ain't I got a thirst. Oh, wow. Oh, goodness. So the group of men began to grow impatient and decided to up the ante. Mm-hmm. One of the men suggested to just shoot Malloy in the head, and but they knew the solution had to be a little bit more subtle to avoid being caught. Yeah. Yeah. So you know yeah, what? Yeah, I don't, I feel like you just, yeah, shooting someone's going to. It would kind of cause a little bit of a. S- suspicion. Yeah, suspicion. Yeah. Exactly. So you want to know what their solution was? What? To mix wood alcohol. With his gin. Oh now, do you know God. what wood alcohol is? Yeah. It's basically antifreeze. Yeah. Yeah. So their solution was, again, just to mix wood alcohol, with antif- which is basically antifreeze, with his gin. Um, now, drinks back then containing just 4% of wood alcohol, wood alcohol could cause blindness. And by 1929, more than 50,000 people nationwide had died from the effects of impure alcohol. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So that's kind of how strong this shit is, right? So they'd serve Malloy not shots tainted with wood alcohol, but wood alcohol straight up. Ugh. Yeah. So Murphy, one of the bartenders, uh, bought a few 10-set cans of wood alcohol at a nearby paint shop and carried them back in a brown paper bag, and he ser- served Malloy shots of cheap whiskey to kind of get him feeling good and then just made the switch. So the gang watched as Malloy downed several shots and kept asking for more, displaying no physical symptoms other than those of typical inebriation. Wow. Yeah. Oh my God. He just kept <sighs> downing it, just downing it basically straight up antifreeze. Um, as quoted by the New York Evening Post, uh, someone said he didn't even know what he was drinking was wood alcohol. And what he didn't know apparently didn't hurt him. He drank all the wood alcohol he was given and came back for more. <laughs> wow, he really is <laughs> he, 
Oh, he, he just really, of steel. So, <laughs> he just kept this up for several nights until one night Malloy just crumpled to the floor without warning. Uh, Pasqua got up to check on Malloy, checked his pulse, which is faint, and then his breathing, and it was slow and labored. So thinking this is it, the gang just waited patiently, hoping that, you know, this would be it, and they could just cash in. So then there was a long, rattled breath, but then, to their shock, he started to snore. <laughs> just oh. snore. So he woke up a few hours later, yawned, rubbed his eyes, and said, give me some of that old regular, my lad. Marino then began to worry, because this was starting to become costly between free drinks and the premiums of Malloy's life insurance. Marino was worried that his bar would go bankrupt if this continued. Mm-hmm. So Tough Tony, one of the men, suggested, again, just blunt force. However, the other man was like, no, we, we this death has to come off as accidental. We can't sit here and make it look like someone just flat out killed him because yeah. then we wouldn't get the, there'll be an investigation and then we wouldn't get the policies, et cetera. So since Malloy was a fondness, had a fondness for seafood, Pasqua suggested drop some oysters and dentured alcohol, let them soak for a few days and then serve them to Malloy while he was drunk. So alcohol taken during... A meal of oysters, Pasquale was quoted as saying, will almost inevitably cause acute indigestion, for the oysters tend to remain preserved. So as planned, Malloy ate them one by one, savoring each bite and washed them down with wood alcohol. Marino, Pasquale, and the rest um, just kind of sat by and waited, but Malloy merely licked his fingers and belched and just kept going like nothing happened. Wow. So at this point, killing Malloy became more about pride. Than the money. <laughs> I feel like, yeah. Yeah, it would <laughs> at this be. Point, at this point, they're like, they're like, dang, <laughs> Irish people are hard to kill. Yo, we are. <laughs> so one night, Marino decided to leave a tin of sardines out in the open to rot a few days and then decided to mix it up with some shrapnel. So he gave the sandwich to Malloy, thinking the shrapnel would start cutting up his internal organs, but instead, Malloy just downed the sandwich and asked for another. And the guys were just like, what the fuck? So at this point, the gang began to grow desperate because everything they tried, I mean, the man just would not die. Mm-hmm. So Marino re- recounted the time when he killed Mabel Carson by leaving her out in the cold. And so that night, the gang tossed a drunken up Malloy into the back of a cab, cab, drove him to a nearby park, dumped him out on the park bench, which was covered in snow, stripped off the shirt, soaked him with water, and just let him be. Okay. Thinking that he'd die of pneumonia. Um, Bronchial. No. Um, hyperthermia. Hypothermia, yes. Okay. However. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> the next morning, Marino opened his bar and found Malloy in the basement. So sometime during the night, Malloy woke up, dredged his way through the wintry streets of New York, and persuaded Murphy to let him in. And when he awoke, he complained of a wee chill. Just a wee chill. <laughs> Just a wee chill. <laughs> so as February rolled around, another payment of the insurance claim for due. And one of the murder trust members suggested to run Malloy over with a car. A few of the other men were skeptical, but others were intrigued. Besides, this was starting to become drawn out. Yeah. Yeah. So they hired a friend named Harry Green, whose cut of the payout would be about $150. They all got in the Green's cab. 
and drove down the street while the other two men held Malloy up like a crucifix style. So Green started to hit the gas, but one of the men in the car told him to stop, thinking that they saw someone who could be a witness to their crime, but it just so happened to be someone turning on the light in the home. Because they're all like jittery, like, oh my God, yeah. we're, like, we're actually actively doing this out. Yeah. That paranoia is Yeah, in. the paranoia was setting in. But anyway, Green started the cab again at another go, but Malloy jumped out of the way. Not once, but twice. <laughs> but as they say, third time's a charm. So... Going about 50 miles an hour, Green punched the gas, and Malloy was hit. Just hit the windshield, went over the back of the car, fell on, you know, on the ground. Fell on the ground behind the car. So for good measure, Green backed Malloy, like backed up over Malloy. Just like, hey, we're just gonna double check and just back right over him, and then keep going. <laughs> so and they just left. And so after that, it became Murphy's turn, and he, the one who was acting as Nicholas Malloy, the, the AKA the brother. Mm-hmm. So it was his job to then start calling the hospitals and morgues and attempt to locate his missing brother, quote unquote. Yet nobody reported any fatal accidents recently. So five days have passed since the incident, and Pasqua began to plot another murder, basically. It's like, hey, why don't we just find another anonymous drunk, pass him off as Malloy, and go from there. But as they were in the middle of plotting this, the doors to Marino's bar flew open, and in walked Malloy, battered and bandaged. He greeted the men, saying, I sure am dying for a drink. <laughs> Wait, so he didn't even know that they were the guys? No. He wow. was too drunk to even, like... <laughs> and the thing is, the men... And this is and this going forward. Like, the men asked if he remembered anything that happened for fear of being all turned in. But Malloy was like, no, all I remember is the taste of whiskey... The glare of rushing lights and then blackness. He woke up at Fordham Hospital only wanting to go back to the bar. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> at this point, the men are just like, that's it. We need to just flat out kill him. Like, yeah. this, is, this is it. This is done. This is, this is insane. This is not okay. So on February 21st of 1933, seven months after the murder trust began, Michael Malloy died in a tenement near 168th Street, about a mile away from Marino's bar. The men had placed a rubber tube from a gaslight and ran it into Malloy's mouth and tightly wrapped his face up with a towel. So they basically force-fed him, like, gas. gas. Oh, gasoline? Gasoline. Oh, my gosh. They basically force-fed him gasoline. Uh, thank you. Dr. Frank Manzella, a friend of Pasqua's, filed a phony death certificate citing... Uh, pneumonia as the cause of death. The gang received only $800 from Metropolitan Life Insurance Company, and Murphy and Marino each spent their share on a new suit. But when Pasqua went to Prudential Life Insurance to collect the additional two policies, the adjuster asked when he could see the body, to which Pasqua said he was already buried. The thing is, when it came to turning in life insurance policies, the adjusters have to do a like exam of the body to make sure that there is no foul play or anything like that, you yeah. know? So the insurance company called the authorities and an investigation ensued. Malo uh, excuse me. Malloy's body was exhumed in May of 1933 where the cause of death of pneumonia was said to be basically phony and was proven to be something more malicious, a.k.a. drowning of gas. Wow. Yep. Uh, green... The cab driver, 
Mm-hmm. He was upset with his cut, so he began talking. And suspicions about Marino and the homeless woman also began. So they are they were like, oh, wait a second. So they ended up connecting the homeless woman and Marino. And then after that, uh, after the investigation, everybody began talking and eventually faced charges. Uh, so Frank Presqua, Tony Marino, Daniel Kreisberg, and Joseph Murphy were all tried and convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to death by the electric chair at Sing Sing Prison. And they all died on the very first try. <laughs> <laughs> Well, at least at least it was the first try for them. At least it was the first try for them, yeah. So oh. that is the story of the man who wouldn't die. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. All of that. <laughs> uh, I feel like they should have, I feel like they really should have just, uh, just given up. Well, that and also, you don't bring that many people into a murder. You know someone's going to talk exactly and you know i think like from what i understood too like it became like a thing where more and more people were like oh my god let's start start placing bets on this or whatever yeah. like <laughs> this is the actual story of deadpool i was just thinking the same thing <laughs> oh oh my goodness mm-hmm. so that's a good story isn't it that was a good one i yeah, did enjoy it i thought that was great oh my gosh oh, it's the irish are hard Hard ones to kill. We we are pretty difficult yeah. to knock off. And that's why I was also kind of like, dang, they're trying with alcohol. I'm like, they do realize he is Irish. Yeah. Delivers are designed differently. Yep. <laughs> so what you got for me? Um, so I'm going to... Hold on. I got a cat got button, a cat in, my face button now. in your face. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to... Uh, because we're kind of out of our realm right now, we're talking about true crime. I was going to talk about, um, you know, some conspiracy theories. I like a good conspiracy theory. Um, my favorite is definitely, um, it's called the Mandela Effect. Ooh. You know, where everything just seems like a glitch in the Matrix. Yes. <laughs> like the Bernstein Bears and... Berenstein, Berenstein. Bernstein, Bernstein. Yeah. Oh, my mm-hmm. God. So, basically, this term... The Mandela Effect was coined in 2009 by a paranormal researcher named Fiona Broom. And it was named after Nelson Mandela. Okay. The whole reason it was named after Nelson Mandela is because a good chunk of people remember him dying in the 80s. (laughs) Yeah. While he was in jail. However, his actual date of death was not until 2013. Huh. Yeah. So, like, I even asked my parents this, and they're like, oh, I remember him dying in the 80s. I couldn't even somehow remember him dying in the 80s. Yeah, they remember watching a televised event and being like, oh, my God, he passed away in jail sort of thing. But no, when they, you know, announced that he had died in 2013, I think everybody was just like, wait a second. I thought he was already dead. Yeah. Yeah, because I remember when he passed away in 2013, I was like, um... I thought he was dead already. I'm confused. Yeah. So um, Fiona Broom had started researching stuff like this prior to his actual death, because technically if he died in 2013, mm. couldn't have been coined in 2009. Mm-hmm. So she started researching um, the effects on time travel and like glitches in the matrix. And that's after is when she named it the Mandela effect. Okay. And this 
has also come to term with different things like, like we said, the Berenstein Bears. Mm-hmm. The yeah, how people remember it being the Berenstein. Yeah, whether it's spelled with an E or with an A, mm-hmm. yeah. as well as um, other sim- other things like Pikachu. Oh my gosh! Yeah. He does not have a black tip on his tail, but if you ask anybody, they remember him having a black tip, a on, black his tail. tip on his tail. Oh, my God. Other instances include um, the Monopoly Man. Everybody remembers him with a, a monocle. Yeah, he has a monocle. No, he does not. What? He does not have a monocle. What are you saying? I'm saying, I'm saying that a lot of people might get him confused with, say, the planter's peanut. That does have a monocle, but the Monopoly guy himself does not have a monocle. What? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not okay with that. <laughs> um, other ones include, <clears throat> say, the ending of Queen's song, We Are the Champions. Yeah. Everybody remembers the ending having, you know, we are the champions, and yeah. then the pause of the, of the world. No, it does not end like that. That's not okay. It does not end like that. That is actually a part in the middle of the song. So I think everybody has taken that little bit from the middle of the song and placed it on the end. Oh, my gosh. But, yeah. Um, it's also, there was another one for Oscar, My- um, Oscar Mayer. Meyer. Meyer. Yeah, Oscar Meyer, the hot dog people. With the yeah, how do we that- spell that? M-E-Y? M-E-Y-E-R? M-A-Y-E-R. Am I right? Oscar Mayer is not spelled that way. It's spelled M-A-Y-E-R. What? Yes. (laughs) Come on, Manny. (laughs) Manny just wants to be part of the show. That's fine. You can be here. We can snuggle. But yeah, so Oscar Mayer is M-A-Y-E-R, not M-E-Y-E-R. I feel like I've been lied to my entire <laughs> Yeah, lots of these instances. It's like, wow, did we did we even experience this? Did we not? Also, sex sex and the city. Mm-hmm. Not sex in the city. It's not sex in the city? No, it's sex and the city. <laughs> Sorry, the reaction of Erica's face is pretty great right now. <sighs> My life is a lie. <laughs> um, another one is the fact that Star Wars. Mm-hmm. We're going to throw it to Star Wars here. What does Darth Vader say to Luke? Well, the famous line is, Luke, I am your father. But if I recall, that's not actually. It is not the correct line. It's, it's not, no, I'm your I'm father. I'm your father. Yeah. Sort of thing. As well as um, C-3PO. Yeah. Um, actually has a silver leg. Yeah, that I know. And not all, he's not all gold. A lot of people assume because of merchandise and stuff, he's all gold. But no, he actually has, it's his right leg mm-hmm. from the knee down is silver. Correct. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that I know. And then um, everybody's favorite neighbor. Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers. Yeah, what about him? Every day in this neighborhood. Wait, what? It's not... Um, it's it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Yeah. It's actually, it's a beautiful day in this neighborhood. Really? Yeah. I'm going to have to listen to that again. <laughs> and then um, just other facts, you know, say Sinbad. 
everybody remembers Sinbad being in a 90s movie. Yeah. With a genie. Yeah, wasn't that like, not Shazam, it's Kazam, isn't Kazam? it? Kazam? Yeah, no, Sinbad did not play in the movie. Then At who all. was that? Shaq. Oh. Oh. <laughs> so here's another thing, too. Shazam, I could have sworn that Shazam was... Kazam. No, I know, but there's a movie out now called Shazam. Yes, there is a movie and out. And I could have sworn that that was a recreation like a redone, like a redone movie of because I kind of sworn that Shazam was already a movie that was done years ago, <laughs> but no, it was Kazam. It was Kazam, yes, and it's completely different basis. Kazam is based off I of a genie. And- I literally, seriously thought that Shazam was already a redone thing because I'm like, I already know whole, I, I already know this whole storyline. I already know how this goes. What well, the heck? technically, Shazam, the one that just came out, is basically a superhero version of Big. That I know, yeah. Yeah, I saw it, and it it really is a superhero version of Big. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but no, yeah, Kazam. Ay. And then it's just a diff- bunch of different things, like different movie titles, different book titles, um, different lines being said in movies. Uh, even Jif, Jif peanut butter. Everybody assumes it's Jiffy. Yeah. No, it's Jif. It's just Jif. Jif. Oh my gosh. But people have been no Jiffy peanut butter. No, Jiffy Peanut Butter doesn't exist. It's Jif. Yeah, so a lot of different things <laughs> have come about because of this theory saying, oh, maybe we remember it that way because it's what it was, and then somebody went back in time and changed things. Kind of like, yeah, because it's this whole like shared memory thing. Exactly, because if it's shared with other people, it feels more confirmed. Like maybe I'm not going crazy and thinking – hey, Nelson Mandela died in the 80s, compared to the, hey, Nelson Mandela actually died in 2013. Yeah. Manny, what are you... Oh, my God. Manny's brushing up up against my mic. I'm sorry. (laughs) He was doing it to mine, too. He is demanding attention right now. Manny, come here. Come here. Come here, baby. No, stop. Come here. Oh, my God. Oh, God. But, yes, basically the whole term for the Mandela effect is a false memory which is a psychological phenomenon where a person recalls something that did not happen or that something happened differently from the way that we remember it happening. Okay. So, yes, it's been a research project since the 70s because of how thing, people remember certain things. Yeah. But it didn't get the Mandela Effect name until... 2009, you said. Right? 2009 is when it started becoming that, well, I remember... Nelson Mandela being dead yeah, in the 80s and then finding out he's alive. Mm-hmm. And then he passed away in tw- uh, 2013. Mm. So that's kind of what happened. Hmm. That's crazy. And um, another part of this whole effect was psychological psychologists, sorry, psychologists came together to study how people remember things. Okay. And so, you know, it's kind of like, hey, witnesses to car crashes. Yeah. Everybody remembers something differently by the way that we word it. So if, say, you have a group of people and you're like, hey, so what were the details of the car crash or, you know, the hit and run or something like mm-hmm. that, they're going to tell you different things because of the terminology that you use. So do you remember when the cars crashed? People are going to picture, oh, yeah, glasses going everywhere, 
you know, the car scrunched up, sort of stuff like that. Yeah. But like a hit and run, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, the car just tapped him and then kind of went off. And it's all based off of the same incident. Hmm. So people remember things about the one incident being different. And they did tend to use car crashes as examples because, like I said, witnesses remember Yeah, because a number of witnesses things. tend to be a thing on that, yeah. Yeah, so that's why eyewitnesses are kind of a touch-and-go subject because a lot of the time, yes, it's nice to have an eyewitness, but a lot of the times they're going to have that, hey, we remember something completely different. Yeah, there was actually, um, that reminds me, there was a video um, that was done by some YouTuber or something like that where someone... They had it staged where someone was sitting on, like, was sitting in an outdoor patio, mm-hmm. and there was a purse, and they had some random guy, like, and there was, like, random pedestrians, like, mm-hmm. bystander that, you know, was there. So there was an actor with her purse and then some random bystander. And then this guy, an other actor, would come up dressed as someone who was, like, a criminal or something, whatever, mm-hmm. and would steal the purse and run off. And... Then later on, you know, as they're asking for help, that same guy dressed in something else would come in and be like, oh, my gosh, what happened? And would try to get, like, a description of everybody. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, like, the description just wasn't the same. same. And even though he was standing right there, the woman, like, the people would be like, would not even, like, know Mm -hmm. it was the same guy. Or something. Yeah, so, so it's the Mandela effect is basically a memory thing. Yeah. And the whole reason it's a it's considered a conspiracy theory is because it's mass amounts of people remembering stuff differently. So Yeah. But like it's it's not just remembering things differently, it's like remembering almost the same thing. Just happening at a different time. Yeah. Or, yeah. Like everybody's like, no, the Bernstein Bears was spelled this way or no, I'm pretty sure the Monopoly guy had a monocle yeah. at some point in time, like something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And Curious George, I remember him having a tail because don't monkeys have tails? He doesn't have a tail? He does not have a tail. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? I no. he has a tail. No, he does not what have a f- tail. I need to look this shit up. <laughs> Sorry, I've just, I can talk about the Mandela effect all the time. There's Holy pictures crap. with a tail. Pictures well, without a tail. One... Well, I don't know if that one is actually like. Apparently, there was an image of him with a tail. At some point. At in time. some point. But most of the time, he doesn't have a tail. No. No, he doesn't have a tail. The fuck. And so, yeah, those are some cool little tidbits of. Mandela effect. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Well, say we, we wrap this up. Are we, yeah. Are we good to wrap up? Yeah. Awesome. There's going to be a lot of editing for Kyle in this episode yeah. because there's <laughs> lots of pauses. So I'm very sorry with the shortness of this episode as well. Yeah. It's a little short episodes, but mm-hmm. it's okay. It's all about the quality, not the quantity. Exactly. <laughs> So, Stephanie, where can they find us? You can find us at cheersfromthegrave.com. You can find us on Twitter at cheersfromgrave. You can also find us on Instagram at cheersfromthegrave. And also Facebook at cheersfromthegrave. Yep. (laughs) And if you have any cool stories, um, personal experiences, some of your favorite paranormal 
um, stories as well. Anything that you find interesting that you would like us to cover, you can send that information to cheersfromthegrave at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Also, we have a Patreon account. So if you'd like to make a donation, um, we do have some cool little uh, extras. If you become a patron, we have $2 and $5 tiers. It's cheer, excuse me, it's uh, patreon.com slash cheersfromthegrave. So if you'd like to become one of our patrons and donate, that would be awesome. Again, those donations do help us continue this broadcast. It helps us uh, with the equipment, server space, yes, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and plus you get cool little uh, trinkets from us. You yeah, get exactly. a shout out on our $2 tier, as well as getting um, some other cool instances. Yeah. You get shout out in our podcast. You get it on social media. Yeah. There's also, a, you get a little nice little sang, uh, signed thank you note from us from the $5 tier. Mm-hmm. Like an actual physical letter from us. So all that little cool things. But um, if you do want to become a patron, that would be that would be fantastic. We do have one $2 tier Patreon right now, which is phenomenal. And again, thank and you. And we love you so much. Thank yes. you. We love <laughs> you so much for becoming that. Um, but yeah, that's about all I have. Uh, we are actually going to do a listener story. We... Do have we finally have enough? We finally have enough of you guys sending in cool and we have ooh, yeah we stories. have about three emails that we're gonna do a listener story on. So I think that's about that's good enough to do a listener story. So I think we're gonna start getting that in. But I mean we can't continue listener stories if you don't send them in. So send them in. Yes, please. and once again our email is cheers from the grave at, at gmail.com. I'm Stephanie and I'm Erica and this is cheers from the grave. grave.